weeks already, and we're going to continue in Isaiah 53 for another four weeks or five weeks, and then we'll be done with that. And then we have, um, we have two more sermons in uh, the book of Zechariah, and then we're going to be done with Shadows of Golgotha. will be about 60 sermons throughout the Old Testament. And I hope you guys see how the cross has been, will always be, God's focal point from all eternity to all eternity. Amen? Uh, we have arrived to the last part of Isaiah 53, which is verses 10 to 12. So we'll read that together, and then we're going to dig into it a little bit more. Uh, it talks about Christ, him being crucified on the cross for us. The whole chapter is a prophecy about that. And it says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. It, um, if he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant, my righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide a booty with the strong. Because he poured out himself to death, he, has, he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Amen. Well, this is the absolute last part of Isaiah 53 that we have arrived to. And if you can remember what we talked about, Isaiah 53 as a chapter talks about two major parts, the suffering of the cross and the glories that follows that, right? Um, Peter told us that in the New Testament that the prophets of the Old Testament has prophesied of both the sufferings of the cross and the glories that follows. We have seen that throughout Psalm 22, right? We've seen that most of the psalm talks about the agony of the cross. And then at the end of the psalm talks about the glories of the cross. The the, the glory that Jesus has received because he has endured the cross. And it is the exact same thing that we have here in Isaiah 53. So far from Isaiah 52 verse 13, we've been talking about... The agony of the cross, the pain and the torture that Jesus has went through as our substitute on the cross to bear the wrath of God on our behalf. And in this last portion, that's when we have arrived to the glories of the cross, the rewards that Jesus has received because of him dying on the cross for us. Amen. If you remember that what we have been talking about in the last two weeks, we were in verse 7, 8, and 9, right? Or actually, um, this is verse 10. So we did verse 9, 8, and 7. The 7, 8, 7, 8, and 9 in the last two weeks. And from verse 7, 8, and 9, anybody remembers what we were talking about back then? What is the main theme of, that, uh, of these three verses? Absolutely. You still remember. That's good. That the, that the Messiah has suffered unjustly. He was treated through an illegal corrupt trial. And he was suffering through, on the hand of man. But it was totally unjust. You guys remember that? Yeah. It's like we're just saying 
that Isaiah was saying, you know, who can tell to his generation that he was smitten for the sake of my people and all this stuff. And it seems like from the last three verses that the Messiah was delivered to the hand of sinful people who did to him whatever was pleasing to them, right? That's what you can get from the last three verses. Yet when we start in verse 10, look how Isaiah started that. It says, yet it was the Lord. The Lord was pleased to crush him. Amen. In other words, what Isaiah is telling us is this. Remember in the last three verses when he was treated unjustly on the hand of a wicked man. And you read three, through these three verses, you think, what happened? How can, how can Jesus be delivered to the hand of the wicked and they do to him all of that? Isaiah brings us back and say, it seems like the wicked man was doing that to Jesus. But remember, it was the Lord all along who was in charge of that process. It was the Lord who was pleased to crush him. Yes, the evil and the wickedness of man did the cross to Jesus, did the pain and the torture to Jesus. But this is not something that God was not in charge of. Amen. God was the mastermind behind the scenes who orchestrated the whole cross so that he can plan the redemption of man. Amen? Amen. That's good. Now, in these three verses, we're going to see pretty much three points that Isaiah is talking about. Number one, we're going to see the reason or the origin of the servant's suffering. And we see that in the very first part. But the Lord was pleased to crush him. The word pleased here tells us the reason why the Messiah, the servant, has suffered. Because it was the pleasure of the Lord. Amen? And number two, we see the nature of his suffering. And we see that in the following part right away. To crush him, putting him to grief. For he has rendered himself as a guilt offering. That is the nature of the suffering. So we talked about the origin, the reason of the suffering. Amen? Which is what? The pleasure of the Lord. Number two, the nature of that suffering. He was crushed by being put to grief because he has made himself a guilt offering. And number three, we see the results of that suffering. And that's pretty much what goes through till the end of that chapter. And we see six results here that has been rewarded to Christ in a way because he has endured the cross for us. Number one, we see that he will see from his offspring. Amen? Number two, I will prolong his days. Number three, the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. That's the third blessing, the third reward. And then it says, as the result of the anguish of his soul, number four, he will see, he will see it and be satisfied. Amen? Amen. By his knowledge, my righteous one, my righteous servant will justify many. That's number five. He will justify many. As he will bear their iniquities, number six, he or I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide a portion with the strong. This last two portion is pretty much synonymous to each other, parallel to each other. I don't think there's new meaning into it. But the idea here is this servant, Jesus Christ, because he was the one who's our substitute on the cross, he will be rewarded by God. Amen. 
Amen? And we see that even in Philippians chapter 2, when it talks about Christ, who was in the form of God, yet he humbled himself, he became a man, and then he was obedient even to the point of death, the death of the cross. You guys remember what is the word after that? Therefore, God has lifted him up and given him the name that is above every name. Amen? So the exaltation of Christ, the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All of this, Paul is telling us in a way, is a reward because Jesus has taken our place on that cross. Amen? Amen. Today, we're only going to stop at the verse two points here. We're going to talk about the origin of the suffering of the servant and the nature of the suffering of the servant. And then next week... For the next two or three weeks, we're going to try to break down all the blessings and all the rewards that Jesus has received as our substitute, because he was our substitute on the cross. Let's start with the first thing, the origin, the reason why Jesus has suffered on the cross. And what is the wording here? Why did Jesus suffer on the cross? The Bible says because it was pleasing to God that he will suffer on our behalf. Amen? If you remember, a while ago, um, we talked about from Psalm 40, we talked about how, uh, again, a shadow of the cross. And we said that the cross was the will of God. Today, we want to talk about the cross being the pleasure of God, not just his will. It's also his delight. Amen. Now, when we say that God was pleased to crush Jesus on the cross, remember what we said last time, Jesus was innocent. He didn't commit any sin, right? He was just crushed because he took our place. So when we say that God was pleased to crush him, we're not saying that God is a sadistic God who enjoys torturing people. This is not what Isaiah is saying. This is not what the Bible is saying. Amen? So what is it? What is it that brought delight to the heart of God so that he took pleasure when Jesus was our substitute on the cross? Well, we see that vividly, actually. If you look to the rest of that verse, let's read verse 10 together. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, look at this, he will see his offspring and he will prolong his days now these two parts in a way for him to see his offspring and prolong his days in a way constitute the good pleasure of the lord that's what he's saying right here and the good pleasure of the lord will prosper in his hand what Isaiah is telling us here is this the fact that jesus will have offspring which is you and me amen spiritual offspring the fact that you and me will come into the kingdom of god that is the good pleasure of the lord that will prosper in the hands of the servant amen so what Isaiah is telling us here is the good pleasure of God is that you and me will obtain salvation through Jesus, through his cross, through his blood, and him being our substitute, and through you and me coming to salvation. That is the very definition of the good pleasure of the Lord that will prosper on the hand of the Messiah. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
And in order for you and me to be saved and enter into the kingdom of God, Jesus must suffer on our behalf. If it's not for the cross, there is absolutely no way for none of us to be saved. That's why God took pleasure in crushing Jesus on the cross because that was the only way for him to achieve his ultimate pleasure, which is bringing you and me into the kingdom of God. Isn't that just amazing? Yes. Amen. And this is not just a foreign teacher teaching in the scripture. This is not the only incident when we see that theme that God takes delight, takes pleasure when, when people come into the saving knowledge of Christ. This is throughout the scripture that God does that. Let's actually um, look into a couple of examples. If you skip with me. Um, all the way to the middle of the page here, second page. We can read just a few examples. In Ezekiel 33, 11, here is what the Bible says. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. The very verse after that says, but the wicked will turn from his way and come back to God. That's what God takes pleasure in. When the wicked turn from his ways and turn back to him. When wicked get saved, that's what brings pleasure to the heart of God. Ephesians 1, 5 to 9. Look at this. This is what Paul said. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. How? According to what? According to the good pleasure of his will. The fact that you and I will become children of God through Jesus Christ. This is that good pleasure of the Lord. Amen. Amen. And then Paul continues and says to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. Which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And then it says having made known to us the mystery of his will. What is that mystery? That you and I will receive the grace of God through Jesus Christ, right? Having made to us the, the, known the mystery of his will. According to what? To his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. This is God's good pleasure. That sinners like you and me will come to the saving knowledge of Christ. That people like you and me who have sinned against the holy and the righteous God and have Brought upon ourselves that wrath of God will one day end up in heaven and be with God for all eternity. That is the pleasure of God. That's what brings him delight. Amen. Luke, Luke 12, 32. Jesus said, do not fear little flock for it is your father's what? Good pleasure to do what? To give you that kingdom. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, so he's talking about salvation now. Works out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do or and to work for what? For his good pleasure. It is God's pleasure to give you the desire to come to Him. It is God's pleasure to give you the strength to do His will so you can be saved. Amen? Amen. 
Over and over and over again in the scripture, we see this, that it is the pleasure of God to save people, to give people eternal life, not to judge people and not to condemn people, right? And isn't that interesting that this is the one lie that people believe all over the world. They don't think of God as a God who takes pleasure in saving sinners. They think of God as a God who takes pleasure in punishing sinners, right? Because everyone trying to do so hard, trying to work so hard, because in the back of their minds, they think of God as a one who's have a stick in his hand waiting for you to make a mistake so he can punish you for it, right? But this is the exact opposite of the God of the Bible. This is the exact 180 degree opposite. This picture could not be further away from our God. Amen. God doesn't take pleasure in punishing sinners. God takes pleasure in saving sinners. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you. This is absolutely, absolutely good news for you and for me. Right? But the world doesn't think this way. They think that God is just so mad and so angry, waiting for you to commit one sin so he can come after you and punish you. But they don't know the word. And Satan is just blinding their eyes and giving them a picture of a God that is not even real. It is not even in the scripture. So how can it be if it's God's good pleasure to save sinners? How can God save sinners like you and me in spite of the fact that we have sinned against God and we have broken his law, right? This is the problem that we have. This is the blockage in our road to come back to God so we can enter into his kingdom and have eternal life. We already sinned. We already broken his law and we have to pay the penalty of breaking the law of God, correct? So how can God take care of that? If it's his will for us to be saved, yet he can't because he's a just God in as much as he's a merciful God. The answer was in the cross. When Jesus came down, he died as our substitute on the cross. And on the cross, Jesus paid in full the penalty of your sins and my sins. And when Jesus did that, the justice and the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the law of God has been satisfied. And because the justice of God is now satisfied, God, who's holy and righteous, now can accept you and me through the blood of his son, Jesus, that was shed on the cross on our behalf. Amen. And that's why God took pleasure in a way. He was delighted to see Jesus going to the cross because that was the only way for his ultimate delight, for his ultimate pleasure, which is bringing you and me into the kingdom of God to be fulfilled. Amen. It pleased God. It pleased God to do what? To crush him, putting him to grief. Now, the word crush him here, actually, uh, that Hebrew word, Isaiah used it a couple of other times in his book. It really means to bruise, to, 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 to grind him. That's really what the Hebrew word says here. Isaiah used it in Isaiah 3.15. Here is what it says there. What do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding the face of the poor? Says the Lord of hosts. And in Isaiah 57, 15, God says, For thus says the high and the lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. And where else? And with him who has contrite, crushed, broken, grinded spirit and humble spirit. Amen. So the idea of that word that Isaiah has been using is to be utterly crushed, to be crushed into fine powder, to be uh, grind into the lowest possible form. 
And that's what Isaiah is saying in describing what God actually did, the nature of the suffering of the servant. He was crushed on your behalf and my behalf on the cross. Jesus was not just, you know, just broken into half or just uh, took some sort of punishment for you and me. He was crushed. He was grinded into fine powder. Which the idea here is the magnitude of the wrath of God that Jesus had to endure on the cross to provide salvation for you and for me. Amen. He was crushed and not only that and God caused him to suffer or to grieve. And actually, the, the wording here in Hebrew can also be understood as that God crushed him by putting him to suffering and to grief. In other words, the Hebrew here can carry the idea of that the suffering and the grief was the tools by which God has crushed Jesus on the cross on your behalf and in my behalf. Amen. I love how the New American Standard Bible put it. It says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. This is the way that Jesus was crushed. It was through the grief and the suffering that he has endured for your sake and my sake on the cross. Amen. Amen. This is just mag. This is wonderful that God will even take pleasure in the one. I mean, there's only one person that the Bible talks about who brought pleasure in the hand of God that God was pleased with, and that's His Son, right? A couple of times God said, "This is My Son in whom I am well pleased." Yet think about that. God was more pleased to crush His Son on the cross to provide salvation for you and me. If you ever wonder that God loves you, you need to look at the cross of Christ. Amen? Amen. There is no greater love than this. That God would so love the world that he will give his one and only son. That he will not spare his one and only son. That he will be pleased to crush him, to grind him on your behalf and my behalf by his wrath. So he can open doors for you and me to enter into heaven. Yet it was the Lord who was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief or to suffering. And then also continuing that nature of suffering, it says, because Jesus has made himself a guilt offering, a trespass offering. In verse 4 and 5, we see Jesus being our sin offering, right? He's the one who bore our iniquities, took our uh, sins upon himself on the cross, which is definitely a picture of the sin offering that we talked about in the book of Leviticus. But here, Isaiah is saying that Jesus was not just our sin offering. He also was our guilt, trespass offering. We talked about this already when we went through Leviticus if you guys remember the difference between the sin offering and the trespass offering is that, I'll remind you, the trespass offering has um, restoration, like a restitution. If you took something out of the person that you have sinned against, then when it comes to the trespass offering, you, you offer the offering to God and then you have to see whatever you wronged the person, add one-fifth on top of that, and then you have to restore it to the person that you took the, the money from. You guys follow me? So let's say uh, an example. I am giving God my tithe in the Old Testament, and I miscalculated. I should have given God $1,000 as tithe, and I ended up giving God 900 okay? 
down the road I'm looking into my math and my budget and I see that I wronged God. I took God, I took $100 from the tithe unintentionally. I wasn't thinking about it. So the way you do it in the Old Testament with the trespass offering is you bring an offering to God, a trespass, a guilt offering because you have sinned, right? You didn't give the full tithe, right? You bring that trespass to God and then whatever you wronged God, which is $100, you add 20% on top of that. That would be 120 and then you give it back to God. So the trespass offering involves restitution. The sin offering does not involve restitution. And that's the main, the only difference, the major difference between the trespass offering and the sin offering. Now we have seen Jesus being our sin offering in the cross, who is our substitute, who took our place, our judgment, so he can give us eternal life in Isaiah 53, verse 4, 5, and 6, pretty much. But now we see him not just being our sin offering, but also being our trespass offering, our guilt offering, who has restored to God what sin has taken away from him, which is showing his love, his mercy, his grace, and his justice to us. Amen? And he he also has restored to us what sin has taken away from us, which is our relationship with God. Eternity, eternal life, having life with God, having, having to know God. Sin has taken all of that away, but Jesus has restored all of that. And he restored far much better than what sin has taken away from us. Amen? Amen. If you forget, go back and listen to Le- the book of Leviticus about the trespass offering. Amen? Exactly. This is the application of it. Yes. This... Very, yeah. Amen. Connected. Amen. So this is... The origin of the suffering of the, the, the servant on the cross and the nature of his suffering on the cross. Amen? Amen. Next week, we're going to start digging into the rewards that he has received because of his suffering on the cross. Can we close our eyes and pray?